you have your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be in verses 22 through 24, but we'll primarily be looking at verse 22. I want to say before we get started, I am so thankful for our worship team uh, and leading us to the cross every week and even helping reorient my own heart towards the gospel, uh, even as I prepare to preach. I'm thankful for that. Thankful for your guys' hard work. Thank you. I want to start with questions. I don't typically do this too much, but I want to ask, start with a few questions. I want you to think about these questions. Who can best care for you? Who can best care for you? I want you to think long and hard about that question. Who knows how to best care for me? Who knows your needs better than anyone else? Who knows when you need something better than anyone else? Not I, Maybe I attached the adjective in the wrong spot, but who knows when you need something? Meaning the timing and delivery of that. Who knows that better than anyone else? Talking about in relation to yourself. Who is best at administering the fulfillment of those needs to yourself? I know, I know. As you think about that, all of us would say, I think in this room, whether you are a follower of Christ or not, you probably would say, well, God does. But, practically, how would your life answer that question? Because I'm betting that majority of us, if not every single one of us in this room, most of the time would answer the question this way, if I want it done right, then I must do it myself. I must secure the care, the need And it's best done and determined by me and administered by me. Now here's the deal. Let me ask you this next question. If you're the one to whom you turn to for this to be done, for care to be determined and administered to your soul, then who is the authority in your life? Who's the boss, as I ask my kids? Who's the boss? I don't mean Tony Danza. Who's the boss? Some of you got that. Some of you did not. It's okay. It's you. It's you. Now, uh, listen, I'm not saying 
that we don't have any need for us to think, like there's no place for us as individuals to think about what we need and, and, and how to best, but I'm saying like who do we ultimately turn to? I'm thinking in ultimate terms here. Who do we ultimately turn to? Who do we ultimately trust in? And if it's yourself, then you have elevated yourself to the authority in your life. Such is true in the garden. Go back to, to Adam and Eve. What's the, like, the motivations and stuff going on in their minds when they decide to do what they did? It is simply this. God doesn't know our needs, and He isn't administering those, the care to us. We will decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. We no longer trust God and His authority and His administration of care through that authority. We must determine it and administer the care and the needs ourselves. So can we stop for just a moment and think that maybe, just maybe, someone else might know better than we do. Can we leave behind the treasures of Egypt and embrace faith in Christ and His means and method of administering care to His people? Can we do that? That's one of the reasons why I asked Jim to preach on that passage last week is because we have stored up so much treasures, so many treasures, such vast treasure of Egypt, and we've stockpiled them in our homes and in different parts of our hearts. And that's where we have our faith. For example, like this is what I've been talking about even just this morning so far, that, that if our faith is in our own ability to care and do what we need best, that's like a stockpile of treasures from Egypt because that's no different than what the world says to us. And we're called to leave that behind. Listen, any treasure that we take from Egypt will eventually be melted down and refashioned into another idol for you and I to worship. Here's the deal. In this church, I, I believe that at least of, of, our, of those who are members, none of you are going to argue with the Scriptures, and most of you are not going to argue with even our interpretation of these Scriptures, particularly in these passages. But in reality, many of us will practically disbelieve them. We'll live tomorrow not in light of the Scriptures, particularly pertaining to this passage in these next few weeks. As I have been asking those around me, and Rusty and I have been doing this together to, to be praying, because we are going to, like sandpaper, rub on some rough edges around our church. This is what happens all the time. That's what I think good expositional preaching does anyways. 
But this, I think, particular has such huge implications and such huge and such huge potential for tension that I have been asking us to pray that God would just be very kind to us and gracious and give us an extra measure of His grace to think through and to be humble and to apply ourselves and these scriptures to ourselves over these next few months. Here's the reality. God has given us divine relational order. He has given us divine relational order. And I believe that is at large God's means of administering care for His people. You saw that's kind of the title of this series. My hope is to trace for you through this series that within the context of divinely ordered relationships, God intends to administer His loving care to your soul. And that if we're unlike Adam and Eve, we will grab a hold of that. That if we are in Christ, we will see that as good and glorious. But if we, like Adam and Eve, trust only in ourselves, we will deny this reality and we will run the opposite direction and hide. So I hope to trace this, this thought over these next few weeks uh, or months, however you want to look at it, uh, as we plod along through Ephesians, you know, one verse at a time, roughly. I want you to see th- things like this, that the Father's loving care for the wife comes largely through the husband. That the Father's loving care to the husband comes largely through Christ. Listen, just I'm not going to caveat every step along the way. I don't mean that the husband is the mediator between the wife and Christ. That's not what I mean, okay? But there's also the father administers loving care to the children through who? Mom and dad. And that even the master to the slave or the owner, the business owner to the employee that God's intends to, to administer care to the slave, to the worker, through the master. And I want you to see this. If you don't see the Father's loving care within divinely ordered relationships, then you will not submit and follow just as Adam and Eve. And second of all, if you don't see the Father's loving care within divinely ordered relationships, then you will not lead in a way that serves those under you. It won't happen. Because your purposes will be all mixed up. I want to read to you a quote from a marriage book called Marriage Matters. It says this, given its prevalence, talking about authority, so given the prevalence of authority, It benefits us all to understand that God expects authority to be exercised as an expression of love no matter the relational context. Though you may not reflect on it often, in almost every area of life, regardless of your gender, you either exercise authority over others or live under the authority of 
another. This is God's design. Our culture wants to get rid of all of that. Nobody wants to be responsible for somebody else, like in a servant leadership, caring, dying for them sense. People just want to be the boss and tell them what to do. At the same time, no one wants any kind of authority over top of them. God's design is that we would all, always be under authority. Period. As another point of kind of introduction to this next series, I want to point to you that, that this section that we're about to work through is related not just simply to how we're to live as Christians in some kind of vacuum, but it is related to God's overall vision for the church as the bride or body of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that this is painting this glorious picture for us. Here's what Paul's doing over these next few verses. He's been doing for a while now, but particularly going to do in very practical ways. He's going to be drawing together implications for us as they relate to God's plan to unite all things in Jesus. This is what that looks like, he's saying to us. That when a marriage is not functioning this way, that when a relationship between parents and their children doesn't look this way, that this is actual, actually disunity. This is not what it looks like for Christ to reign and rule in your lives. But for Christ to reign and rule, and for things to be summed up and united in Jesus, this is the way that things are to look. What is Paul doing? Some of you have heard me use this phrase a little bit recently, the idea of biblical improvisation. Paul is modeling that for us. He is taking the scriptures and he's going, this is what it looks like. He has this ability to apply the scriptures beyond the easy, explicit statements which we struggle with often anyways. Does that make sense? The reality is you have to know the scriptures well enough to do such a thing. To be able to apply them well. And, and so yeah, does that require work when it comes to studying the scriptures? Yes, it does. That's why Paul's so good at it because he knows the scriptures. It's not just because the Holy Spirit gave him little key thoughts that he never thought of. No, the, the Spirit is using what the Spirit has taught Paul in order to use Paul to teach us. This is going to be so important. Here's why. Because there are so many implications and applications for these passages when it comes to the household, when it comes to the workplace, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to your kids. And here's the deal. You've got to look at these passages, including today's, not as step-by-step agendas, but as a set of guidelines that provide the framework in which you, hear me clearly, by the Spirit and the rest of Scriptures and in community under the authority of the church and its elders, develop the step-by-step agenda. Let me read that again. You have to look at these passages not as a step-by-step agenda, 
but as a set of guidelines that provide the framework in which you, by the Spirit and the rest of the Scriptures and in community under the authority of elders, develop the step-by-step agenda. That's the nature. It's what's going on here. The reality is that we want to shrug responsibility. We want to shrug authority. We want to do it our way. And we want, it's what we want. We want God to give us some kind of play-by-play, but then He doesn't give us the play-by-play. And, or if He gives us things to do, then we don't want to do those, but then we say we want to play-by-play. God doesn't operate that. God gives us these principles. And, and then He says, now work these out. He's not going to tell you what it looks like to choose where you go to eat at with your wife. He expects you to understand the scriptures and what does servant leadership look like and what does that mean to care for her in, those, in that situation as simple as where are we going to eat. Let me give you an example. Uh, let me, before I give you this example, I, I need you guys to do something. You need to understand when we're working through the Bible, right, that we're adding, we're building on things. So there's going to be things that I'm not going to clarify this morning because I don't have time to. But as we press through the text, we're going to have more examples and it's going to build. And so if you have questions, you certainly ask those. But understand there's also things going to come along in the text as we go. But let me give you an example of this, of a, of a not a step-by-step, but in applying a principle. Rusty was at a uh, parenting conference, and there was a guy named Eric Boncroft, or Bancroft, was, he gave this example, he called it the nice guy syndrome, the nice guy syndrome, all right, well, honey, why don't you choose, why don't you choose, why don't you make the decision where we're going to go tonight, or what we're going to do here, now, I, I know, listen, I've done this a thousand times myself, Here's the reality. Most of us in that moment are not seeking to lead. We're seeking to be lazy. We're seeking to shrug our responsibility to lead in our family. Let me give you the practical example. Where are we going to eat at tonight? Now listen, I know some of you guys are going to take this and go, well, this means I get to choose where we get to eat at every time. Hallelujah. Not saying that, okay? Now, for me, that would be fantastic. I, I, I like that. Listen, leadership is not giving up the decision-making process and delegating that to someone else. That's not servant leadership, men. Servant leadership is doing the hard work of discovering and discerning what is best for your wife that night and then deciding what and where and how we should go. That's, that's hard work. You know what that means? That means that you're probably not going to get to go where you want to go a lot of times. But because your desire for her is greater than your belly. I have a hard, one time, hard time with that. You're supposed to laugh. You can laugh at that. It's okay. 
The nice guy syndrome. So here, here's the deal. Like, I know some of you guys are going, wow, that sounds extreme. Yeah, the Bible sounds extreme. I think it's a good application of this. But it's an example where the Scriptures are not giving us a play-by-play, but we're intended to apply these and work through these in our lives. You see, a servant, leadership, a servant leader will ask questions in order to discern what will best serve his wife. And then he'll make the decision that honors her and the Lord. For me, you know, I might as well just give up and go to, you know, Olive Garden every time. Because that's usually where she wants to go. Ugh. We're going to get to the text, I promise. One more thought here. One more thought. The two elements of love and submission. The two elements of love and submission. They're not negotiable. Okay? They're not negotiable. Let me read to you what a scholar, uh, a, Pauline, a, scholar, a Pauline scholar said. He said, Theologically, we are not free to retain a supposedly exalted view of Christian marriage with its loving service, commitment, trust, and growth on the one hand, and to jettison hierarchical patterns of submission or subordination on the other. It's both. We don't get one without the other. Our world wants all the loving service. I was recently at a wedding. Well, of course they read the, the famous Corinthians passage, love is patient, love is kind, love is so on and so forth, right? It's a great passage. But when you read that passage and you want loving patience and kindness and all that stuff, but you don't talk about God's means of accomplishing that, through authority and submission and, and how that relationship works, when you jettison, when you get rid of those, you're not going to have patient love and kindness. What you're going to have is a battle of wills like a two-headed monster. This relationship, as we'll talk about, will truly mirror the relationship of Christ and His bride in its redemptive state. I want to read to you Ephesians 5, verse 22. All of that that I just said is kind of introductory to this series as we work through Ephesians, and some of that is introductory to this particular passage this morning. He says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give clarity of words to me, that you would give clarity of reception to all of us. And Father, that you would be glorified. Give us a humble heart. In Jesus' name, amen. First, I want to talk about this a handful of misconceptions. Now, I talked about some misconceptions a few weeks ago. I'm going to kind of restate a few of those misconceptions, but let me say this. When it comes to understanding this passage, when it comes to understanding any biblical passage, but particularly this one that is just strapped to baggage, strapped to caricatures, is strapped to wrong thinking, 
we must reject any and all false caricatures concerning this teaching. All of it. We're going to talk about what some of that looks like. But we must. And we must wholeheartedly affirm and believe by faith God's good design. Okay? Again, I'm sure that everyone in this room has misconceptions about wifely submission. Some of these, again, I listed earlier just a few weeks ago. Some think that women are supposed to be submissive to all men. That's not what this passage is teaching. Notice it says, your own husbands. Some think that submission is thoughtlessness, and you've all heard the phrase, like, she must be a doormat, right? Anybody heard that? Like, that's what submission is? Some think that this is oppression, and maybe even borderline slavery. Let me say this, some of you saw this modeled in poor ways. Some of you didn't see it modeled at all. Maybe growing up in your home, the idea of wifely submission was a completely foreign concept. Or maybe it was a concept, but it was maybe done poorly. Some of you were taught poorly concerning marriage roles. Maybe the church that you were a part of at a season in your life taught it differently, taught it in a poor way. I'm not sure. These are all realities and all help foster misconceptions. But here's the deal. I want you to hear me very clearly here. We must all take ownership for not understanding biblical roles. We must all take ownership for that. It's not ultimately your parents' fault the church's fault, your pastor's fault, or the world's fault for your misunderstandings when it comes to relational order within God's household. It's our responsibility, personally, to go to the Scriptures and study for ourselves what does it say. So as we begin to work through these passages, particularly in house gathering, the thrust of our conversation should not be how poorly we have seen this modeled, but maybe humbly, poorly, how poorly we have done in seeking to understand the Scriptures and apply them ourselves. Okay? I know that just like went grind, grind, grind on some of your toes, and, but uh, that's all right. So let me say, so let's do this today. Let's seek to understand what the Scriptures have to say about submission, particularly as it pertains to wives. The first thought is this. Wives are to arrange themselves under the authoritative care of their husband. Wives are to arrange themselves under the authoritative care of their husbands. He says in verse 22, again, wives, submit to your own 
husbands. To give you some thoughts here. At the heart of submission is the notion of order. At the heart of submission is the notion of order. God has established certain leadership and authority roles within the family. Within life in general. But we're talking particularly here the family. God has established these positions, if you will. And submission is this. It's a humble recognition of that divine ordering. It's a humble recognition of that divine ordering. Let me give a side thought here. Men, this is not an opportunity for you to think about how my my wife should submit to me. It's an opportunity for you, if anything, to learn what submission should look like for you to Jesus. Right? Because there's parallels here. One of the greatest gifts we have from Christ is our wife's model of submission to us because if it's done well, it shows us what submission for us as men should look like to Jesus. So that's a side note back into the sermon here. Submission is a humble recognition of God's divine ordering. So wives, listen to me here. When you are not willing to arrange your life under His authority, you are saying... God's divine ordering is wrong. It's terrible. I know better. Get that? I just want to make sure we like say it for what it is. Call it what it is. Now I know. Again, I'm going to step on some of your toes, ladies. I, I, I want to be gentle here. I know some. I've, I've seen this done. Sometimes, ladies, you will conveniently hide behind your husband's authority when he wants something that you actually want as well. It's not submission. That's called manipulation. It's, it's conveniently getting behind his authority because, you know, it's just, it's just what I want too. I'm not saying that submission is always like wanting the same thing. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying to, to, to be not submissive, to be that's your rhythm of life, is that you are not in submission. Then for you to then kind of conveniently get behind him when it's nice for your agenda is not submission, it's manipulation. Now, children, if we think about the same thing, wives, when you're not willing to arrange your life under authority, you're saying God's divine ordering is wrong, it's terrible, I know better. For children, when you don't arrange your life under your parents' authority, you're claiming you know better than God's divine ordering. You're saying you know better. You got this figured out. And understand who you're saying that against. Not me. Not your parents. Against God. You're saying, I know better than God. That's crazy. For any of us to say that. This idea of order. Mothers, if you want your children to learn submission to you, you should model submission for them. Because if they don't see mom submitting to dad, how are they going to learn how to submit? 
It, it, listen, if all they see is mom and dad going like this, what do you expect they're going to do with you? They're going to do the same thing. They're going to do the same thing with dad. They're going to do the same thing with their school teachers. They're going to do the same thing when they get with their boss. They're, they're not going to learn what it looks like to follow and be led, even with poor leadership. More on that in a bit. There's lots of kids around here. I'm not saying this next thought just because of my grandparents, my kids' grandparents, but same thing for grandchildren. If you want them to submit to their parents, so thinking all of you in here that have kids and have your parents that are still alive, I'm not saying just go repeat this to them, okay? There might be a way to lead them to this without being offensive. But it's valuable for grandchildren Parents to teach their kids submission, teach their grandchildren submissive by submitting to the parents when it comes to the children. Does that make sense? So grandparents, my wife's going, nope, it doesn't make sense. Grandparents are not submissive to their children ultimately, right? Because they're still the parents. Like your role is to honor them. But when it comes to the kids, mom and dad's the ones in authority. And so the grandparents have a wonderful opportunity to show submission to the, to show the grandchildren what submission looks like to mom and dad when it comes to the kids. Not when it comes to buying a car or when it comes to spending money. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when it comes to the kids. But when grandparents circumvent God's divine ordering, then that messes up the kids. Does that make sense? Okay, okay. So at the heart of submission is this notion of order, God's divine order. Second thought here is that submission requires a lot of really hard work. Anybody agree? Is submission hard? I agree. It's really hard. Listen, the idea of here, wives, submit to your own, the word submit there is in, you've heard this a little bit recently, the idea of the middle voice. It's not the active voice, but the active, not the active voice or the passive voice, but it's the middle voice, which is the idea of you doing the action to yourself, right? So the wife is to do the action, is to basically lead herself in submission, like to submit. Here's a few things that that means for us. It emphasizes the voluntary character of submission. That it's voluntary. <clears throat> Let me give you some implications of that. This means, husbands, it's not your role to make her submit. That's not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility. So let me, again, give you some implications of that. First of all, you should not sin and, and, and try to make it easier on her submission. Okay? Like, your sinning makes it harder for her to live faithfully to the Lord. Yeah, did I tell you not to sin? Yes, I told you not to sin. Do I know you're going to sin? Yes. We'll get to Jesus a little more clearly in a little bit. This means it's not your role to make her submit. So this means that any, listen to me, men, any form of coercing her submission is not appropriate. Any form. Wrong. I, I'm not certainly, I don't think any of that's going on in our church, but if it is wrong, I want to be sure that it's clearly denounced. I mean, there are cultures. We were, 
We were on a mission. It was physical abuse to make her submit. It was physical abuse to make her submit. I want to move on. How about verbal abuse to make her submit? I want to move on. How about verbal abuse? Like examples like, woman, your responsibility is to submit to me. Do you think that that's the right way to go about this? That's not a kind way. Now that's different than having a spirit-filled conversation where you are selfless and are seeking the submission of your wife. There's a difference. One is demanding and very authoritarian. The other is saying, me. it's because this is wash you with the word. Let me help you with this. But it's not for me. It's because this is what honors God. There's a difference. Another means of coercion would be manipulation. Here's an example. In a whiny voice, if you can imagine. But Sarah... I really want to do this. What are you doing? First of all, you're just being a wimp. Gosh. I knew someone that 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 was what his leadership looked like. All the time. It's manipulation. You're just trying to coerce her to obedience, to follow, to submit. That's not God. It's not... Is that what God does? Like, think about leader. Is that what God does? God go, well, but Matt, like, I really want you to do this. Is that what he does? I mean, I know there are contemporary Christian music songs that sound like that, but <laughs> that's not what God and the Scriptures do. He says, look, I'm here. I love you. I care for you. And this is what following me looks like. So submission requires a lot of really hard work. It means, husbands, you have no role in making her submit. This also means that women, the means, it means that you have your work cut out for your own heart. You need to recognize that your heart is not prone to this. Like your heart is not prone to be submissive. Sure, you might have a personality that's a little more passive or not quite as bold or aggressive, and that doesn't make either one of those personalities necessarily wrong. What I'm saying is all of us, all of you ladies, have a proneness to want to submit. Understand again that the idea of this is a middle voice, that you're doing this to yourselves, wives, means that the responsibility to submit does not fall on your husband. It falls on you. It's your responsibility. Next thought here as we think about this to your own husbands, ask to the Lord and authority, this authority that she's submitting to. And what I'm trying to get at, guys, here's what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to get at what's going on in your heart and trying to help prepare you for what's going to go on in your heart as you try to work this out. This is this, this next thought is this. Authority is not synonymous with tyranny and authoritarianism. We in our culture today and beginning in the garden have thought and are convinced that any act of authority 
is always authoritarianism, is always against us. It's something that's going to be hurtful to us. Listen, I get it. When you look out in the world, when you look in corporations and you look at countries and nations, what do you see often? What do you see most often? Authority being exercised for selfish gain. That's what you see. That doesn't mean that all authority is that. A scholar I was reading this week said, the idea of subordination is out of favor in a world that prizes permissiveness and freedom. This idea is so hard. Let me just admit this as we work through this. The idea is really hard to draw lines in the right place. of what is, When is authority overstepping its bounds? And when is it not? And, and they're just not being submissive. Well, how do you draw that kind of line? That's a hard line to draw. And I think, honestly, many churches, particularly when it comes to marriage, have drawn the lines in the wrong place. But the reality is, it's not, just the, ch- it's not the church's fault that the world doesn't rejected it, at the guard rejected it, long before the church... Adam and Eve authority and it at the garden. So the idea of authority and authoritarian are not always synonymous. Well, they're not ever synonymous. Sometimes authority turns into authoritarianism. Let me read to you a quote from, from a guy named uh, Jonathan Lehman. He says this, Christian authority will always feel enslaving to fallen humans. It's not... If Christian freedom is not freedom wherever the Spirit of God is, not in motion, then Christian authority will always look enslaving or burdensome apart from the Spirit's new covenant work. He says this, If this chapter were a sermon, I would say that last sentence twice because it's so important. So let me do it twice. Christian authority will always feel enslaving to fallen humans. If Christian freedom is not freedom, wherever the Spirit of God is not in motion, then Christian authority will always look enslaving or burdensome apart from the Spirit's new covenant work. He goes, apart from the work of God's Spirit in the heart, a godly use of authority will almost always feel like authoritarianism. Two truths that Paul, real quick, you see here, Paul is not giving blanket permission for authority to do whatever they want. So wives, when you think about submission, it's not submission to blanket authority for him to do whatever he wants. The other is Paul is saying by implication that your heart is bent to see authority wrongly. Why else would he be giving the command to submit? Right? If, if your heart naturally did this, it would just be assumed that hence the proneness to not submit. Cared for the way God is this. If you think, always see authority yourself, instead of being cared for the way God has designed it, then you will always see authority as authoritarianism. You will see it as harsh and burdensome. It will always rub you the way. They will not be able to. They will not be able to do much right. Do you realize in your marriage relationship, probably, particular, 
if this is true, how much your husband feels like he can never do anything right? The reality is, apart from Christ, he can't. But maybe he is doing something right by God's grace, but you just can't see it. Because any act of authority rubs you the wrong way. We tell you ladies this. Submission is the primary way you show love to your husband. Submission is the primary way you show love to your husband. What is submission, right? It's giving oneself up for another. It's laying down your will to prize someone else's. Already talked about, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. If you need to re-listen it, re-listen to it a few weeks ago because I laid a lot of groundwork of what is submission. Like it's very core. Submission is rooted in redemption in the gospel. Like the very act of the gospel requires submission to it. So when we submit to God the Father, what are we saying? Like when you think about the gospel, what are you saying when you submit to God the Father? You're saying these words whether you're explicitly saying them or not, I love you. I desire you. You care about the plans that you have for me. I give myself. I desire to give myself wholly to you and give my desires to you, Father. That's submission. That's love. That says I to your husbands. Submission is putting their will ahead of yours. Also, kind of wrapped up in your idea of respect, right? Of yours. Your respect. Listen, ladies, let me, let me encourage you with something here. You should see the responsibility that your husband has by God and respect him. Pray for him. Love him. Be gracious to him. Be slow to anger. Be seeking to be one accord. Right? Fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5. He does not have an easy role. And he's going to mess up lots. So wives, arrange yourselves under the authoritative care of your husbands. We're going to develop that idea of care more as we go. Second to last major thought here is that wives must submit to their own husbands in every area of life. I'm just going to keep pressing in here in every area of life. So we already read verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself its Savior. Now, here's verse 24. So uh, uh, here's the deal, guys. I'm going to skip over 23 for today. We're going to come back to 23 next week. But 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What's this mean? What's this mean? All right, let's, let's press into this, okay? This means that your submission is not only in the big decisions, 
And it's not only when your lazy husband finally decides to leave. Okay? Got that? Everything. All right, now let's, let's talk, just in case there needs any clarity there. Men, let me give a side note here. Men, can you see how hard you can make it on your wife if you're not leading? How is she going to do this? Like, how is she going to seek to arrange herself under you? Listen, if, if you, men, here's the deal. As a man, I'm going to pick on you, okay, over these next few months. I'm going to try to build you back up, okay? Um, but, listen, if you're too lazy to seek the Scriptures, seek counsel, pray, and then apply it all in leading your family, then you make your wife have to do one of two things, or both. Drag it out of you, like drag out of you your leadership, which is not her role. Or you force her to lead the family without you. Now, listen, I am thankful that, this, that our wives will step up when we don't lead. Like, that the family just doesn't go to the pot, you know, go to, to the scrapyard, you know, whatever. They go to junk. Fail. Fall apart. But, that's not her responsibility. And you, when you abdicate your role, when you give it up, you put her in a position that she's not supposed to be in. Bearing a burden that she's not supposed to have. Okay. So, ladies, this means not just in the big decisions. Now, here's a question. Do you want me to caveat this to death? Right? Because I'm not going to caveat this to death. I'm not going to Here's the deal. If you're asking, so what am I allowed to do of my own will? You're missing the point. You're just missing the point. Paul's goal here is not for us to be thinking, how can I do whatever I want and still be, like where's that line so I can still be faithful to God? If you're seeking to arrange your life under, then it means everything. But if you're not seeking your life, seeking to arrange your life under, then like the Pharisees, you're seeking to do what you have to do in order to earn your righteousness and then go about the rest of the day doing whatever feels pleasing to you. That's what the Pharisees did. That's not the goal. He says to submit in everything to their husbands. All right, I am going to caveat it a little bit, all right? Because here's the deal. Because if we're not careful, we'll sinfully take this to very bad places, okay? First of all, it means not submitting to Him if the ways or the decisions or the goal or the motivations are sinful. Like if we're where we're headed is against God, you're not to follow Him. You need to follow God. Your obedience is first and foremost to your Savior, not to Him. We'll flesh out some of this. Why is this the case later on in the weeks to come? 
Let me ask you this. Well, how do you discern when your husband's leading in a sinful way? Like he's leading you to a sinful place. How do you, how do you figure that out, ladies? I mean, that's a, you're in a hard place. I get it. But when you need to discern whether or not your husband is leading you in sin, then you need to, here's the principle, appeal to his authority. Right? You go up the chain of command. You appeal to his authority. And then watch how he responds in that heat, right? And you'll see whether he's, he's operating in the fruit or of the Spirit or he's not. What does that look like? What do I mean? Appeal to his authority. I, I, I'm not saying, well, what the Bible says to do that, you know? I, I, listen, there's kind and gentle ways to do things, right? But you're appealing to his authority. What is his authority? The Scriptures. The Scriptures are his authority. What's another authority in your husband's life? The elders in the church. That's another authority in your husband's life. So if you need help discerning where is your husband leading you in sin and where is he not, first and foremost, go to the Scriptures. If you need help beyond that, go to the elders. I'm not saying come to us and rat on your husband. I, I don't want you to do that. But if you're really genuinely struggling, you can do that. So here's the, so the question is, so am I supposed to submit a play-by-play to his authority? Here's, what I would, here's how I'd answer that. Not directly. I don't think the goal here is that you ask him when you can jump and when you can walk and how you can walk and when you can go to the ground. I don't think that's the point here. I think the idea is every area of life, every area of life, I mean, it's not just in the big decisions. It's not just when it affects the whole family. It's not just when it comes to finances. It's not just when it comes to church. It's not just when it comes to sports. It's not just when it comes to workplace or whatever. It's in every area of life. So here's the deal. As you submit to his general leadership in every area of life, then I think you will necessarily play out the implications of his leadership in each play. Does that make sense? So are, are you going to him for like details of how you're supposed to walk and how you're supposed to talk? No, no. But, but if he's leading you that this is the way Christ talks and this is the way Christ, then, then you will live that way if you're submitting to that. Does that make sense? Everybody give me a heads up or no. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, no. Okay, okay. Again, I recognize the danger some of you men just want to control every action of your wife. And the reason is because you're too lazy to do the hard work of leadership. Listen, controlling her every action isn't leadership, it's authoritarianism, and it's probably abuse. Leadership is defining from the Scriptures the way in which your family should walk. That's leadership. And then the Spirit and the Lord can work that out in your wife's life. Let me give you another thought here real quick before we move on to the last point. A traditional marriage is not necessarily a biblical marriage. A traditional marriage is not necessarily a biblical marriage. The reason I want to bring this up is 
as we think about submission and what does submission look like? Right? What is traditional marriage? Women cook, clean, do laundry, etc. Men work and earn an income. Okay? Traditional marriage. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying it's not necessarily biblical. I think biblical marriage, I mean, I'm not going to flesh this out this morning, that there is a, a, a woman's center of activity is the home. And a man's kind of center of activity is provision. But I agree with what Kossen, uh, a scholar named Andreas Kossenberg said. But the Bible doesn't exact the division of labor. Okay? It doesn't doesn't write out the specifications of that labor. But there's an emphasis that there's Christ-like leadership and loving submission. And that when that's happening, it's okay for the wife to make more money or for the husband to be the better cook. These are his words, not mine. However, They should simply yield to the pattern of the husband serving as the head and the wife as the helper, submitting to the loving leadership of her husband. So again, just trying to help us rewrite some of the script here, that we don't just just attach Republican, conservative, traditional marriage values and say that's what the Bible says. But what does God say? Okay, there you go. Last point. Submission to your husband is the way you live out submission to Christ. It's the way you live out submission to Jesus. Does it go beyond your husband? Does submission to Christ go beyond? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's one of the largest ways that you live out submission to Christ is to your husband. Again, I'm just continuing to reel here on 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And he says this at the end. As to the Lord. What does that mean? Is that just like a cute little phrase we add on? Guys, listen. Submission to Christ is lived out largely in our divinely ordered relationships. That's your husband, your wife, whatever the case is. Let me give you a few closing thoughts here. First of all, submission is a matter of Christian discipleship, ladies. Wives, hopeful wives. Submission is a matter of Christian discipleship. It's not just something cool that we get to do or something bad that we get to do, right? It's a matter of discipleship. And like any other thing or any other matter of discipleship, it takes work, it takes discipline. Guys, the motive, like when we talk about submission, and, we, and Rusty and I, as we lead the church through this, our motive is not to fulfill some sort of societal roles or cultural expectations. That's not our goal here. It's not to have families that look pleasing. I was going to say to Republicans, but um, maybe that one's out the door already. Like the motive is love for Christ and a desire to be conformed to His image. That's discipleship. And that's the motive for submission. Submission is not something that is dependent on other people and their performance. Your obedience to Christ in this area, listen to me ladies, can be, can be faithfully worked out regardless 
of other people, including your husband, just like any other matter of discipleship. Does that make sense? I'm saying it's not dependent on him. His messed up leadership doesn't determine your faithfulness in submission. Does it maybe make it a little harder? Yeah. But it doesn't determine it. Your walk with Christ alone determines it. Back to kind of the main point. This was a fundamental, submission is a fundamental way in which a wife serves the Lord. Colossians 3.23 says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do. So submission being one of those things you do. And you do it for the Lord with all your heart. Now in verse 21, if you look back there, it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? Out of reverence for Christ. In the fear of Christ. We talked about this. That in the fear of Christ finds a a solid expression for the wife in the marriage situation. So listen to this. As she is subordinate to her husband, so in that very action she is submitting to Jesus Christ. Fear the Lord, ask to the Lord. He's giving, he's giving um, uh, meat, if you will. He's filling the bones with what does this fear of the Lord look like or out of reverence for Christ. Let me ask you this, ladies. Do you love Jesus? Or do you want to love Christ? Do you love Christ? Do you believe He is worthy to submit your life to? Do you believe that He can best care for your soul. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You see, the beauty of the gospel is this. Let me recount for you very quickly here. In the garden, submission was beautiful. Right? It was beautiful. Eve to Adam, Adam to God. We know Why we know it's beautiful? Because everything God makes is beautiful. It's perfect. It's glorious. And then sin breaks and destroys and mars the beauty of submission. Eve saw Adam's authority as oppressive, so she goes around Adam. Adam saw God's authority as oppressive, so he goes around God. And all of a sudden, now they're entangled and slaves to their sin. They cannot see submission rightly. You see the struggle all throughout the children of Israel. But then one comes, right? Jesus. He comes. The snake crusher comes and lives how? Perfectly in submission to the Father. Lives perfectly submitting to the Father, proclaiming to the world this, that the Father's authority is perfect and is perfectly loving and good for us. You see, in the Gospel, authority and submission, among many things, is redeemed. It's brought back to the way it's supposed to look. Guys, divinely ordered relationships are shown to be glorious. You see, the Son... Living as a man, submitting perfectly to the Father. 
showing us that the Father's commands are good, that His leadership, His authority is not authoritarianism, but His authority is good and good for us and for His glory. Now, Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, through Christ, you're set free from this marred understanding and enslavement to submission. You're set free from that. You're not a slave to that. But I don't want to pass up the fact that we have to work hard at submission. Wives, you have to work hard at submission. There is effort involved. We must, by the Spirit and the Word, train our hearts to see submission rightly. To see it ultimately, if you will, to Christ. And church, I want to ask this question. Do you truly believe this, that submission is redeemed in the gospel? Because here's the deal. Jesus shows us that, duty to the, that submission to the Father is not just a duty, but it's a delight. It's something to be enjoyed. So, so listen, submission in its sanctified state of your life, or glorified state, maybe it's the better word, in your life, does not look like just you simply saying, okay, husband, lead me, and arrange your life under it, but it's actually the enjoyment of that. But it's only through the gospel that you will ever accomplish that. Here's why. Because you have to have faith in Christ. To have faith that, that what He modeled for us is good. And He shows us that the Father is good. Listen, in Christ, you have, lady, I'm assuming you particularly ladies, you have all you need. He should be your delight and your joy. And from there flows obedience and submission. And what do we see in Christ? We see Him saying, look, my Father is good. My Father is kind. My Father does nothing but that which is good for His kid, for His children. Even taking His Son to the cross. So I would encourage you, ladies, submit to your husbands. If you see it rightly through the gospel and believe it thoroughly, you can do it because of joy in Christ and as a delight to your soul. Let me read to you another quote from Marriage Matters. He says this, God gives authority to some to ensure that in every arena of relationship, someone is responsible for the care of others. Wives, God intends to care for your soul, at least in large part, through your submission to your husband. Look to Christ in His perfect submission. His life paints the beautiful picture that God's authority is wonderful. It's worthy of your loving submission. And even as He works His authority sovereignly through the frail, sinful heart of your husband. Your submission is not ultimately to Him. It's to Jesus. And you see Him perfectly living in submission to the Father. And you can trust, right, that His authority is 
perfect. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Father, I pray that, that our wives and hopeful wives and husbands walk out of here encouraged knowing that Jesus models for us submission. And doesn't just model for us, but He earns faithful submission for us. And that when we abide in Christ, that submission is one of the things that will come out. We can't just staple on submission to our lives. Like fruit that doesn't belong. But Father, as we abide in Christ and submit to Him, there we will see submission to our husbands come out. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. Father, prepare. I didn't really address the men today, but Father, I pray that, um, that they would not wait for a sermon, but they would read on in the text and seek to submit their lives to you through that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.